mouth, the brain sight of the blind man. We're down to the left child. We will survive in this country wilderness. Swimming through the waters of Babylon like a rebel fish. Jogging specialist, predatory and survivalist. Spitting heaven, fight from his lips. Burn slave driver. time for an awakening on black talk radio network new media for the new millennia this is a history and current events program from a cultural perspective we find this program necessary because hosea 4 6 states my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge but we as a people We'll turn this around. Proverbs 4, 7 states, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. It's all about getting get an understanding. Again, welcome to the program this evening with your hosts, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard. The number to reach us to get involved in the conversation this evening is 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We're streaming live audio at several locations you can go to time for an which is the home page and catch the live audio at that location you can go to www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening again that's www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening and catch the live audio there also we're streaming at a bb2me.com. That's A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I.com forward slash time for an awakening. Any live stream ought to be playing there. Or you could download the TuneIn radio app to any of your devices. TuneIn is a free app. In that TuneIn search engine, you could type in time for an awakening. There you'll see the icon, and you can stream your program live, even into your car if you had a Bluetooth capabilities or the auxiliary connection. Again, that's time for an awakening radio program with the live stream on the TuneIn app. Drop us an email at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Again, that's timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Time for an Awakening also has a fan page on Facebook. In that Facebook search engine, you can type in Time for an Awakening radio program. There you'll always see interesting content being posted daily by myself or Brother Richard. And do me a favor, before you leave that page, just hit that like button. That's Time for an Awakening radio program the fan page on Facebook and Time for an Awakening Media is also there. Always full of the latest podcasts of the various programs on Time for an Awakening Media interesting articles that you can read, download at later times and share with your friends. Also check out that Time for an Awakening Marketplace and our partnership with the BB Toomey. Always interesting things in the marketplace all the time. Uh, various African language classes, classes on education, economics, social systems, health, and much, much more being taught by professors on both the continent and in the diaspora. So, again, make that one of your favorites. Put that in your address bar. That's timeforanawakening.com. Timeforanawakening.com will take you straight to Time for an Awakening Media. It's 8.07 here on this uh, Friday night, uh, hot summer night in Philadelphia. The Friday, October uh, it's October, my goodness, August the 25th edition 
of time for an awakening. We're in Freestyle Friday this evening, and you can get involved in the conversation. By dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We'll be right back to get the program started after a brief word from our sponsors. Mr. Moderator, our distinguished guests, brothers and sisters, our friends and and our enemies. Everybody is here. You are listening to Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts or live programming, hit them up at timeforanawakening.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 215- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Overworked? Suffering with an underperforming company, headache customer, staff, or vendors? Or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? We turned a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states. This is just one transformation created for entrepreneurs like you in various industries around the country. Not where you're used to from accounting and business consulting? Well, welcome to New Business Solutions. If you're ready to go beyond advising, coaching, and training and get implemented results, call 301-244-9072. Let New Business Solutions apply the best comprehensive administrative accounting, operations, human resources, management, sales, and marketing to help you actualize your vision for yourself and your company. From anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072. Spelled new as in numerous on your device right now. Book your free consultation at newbusinesssolutions.com. History is a clock that people use to tell their political and cultural time of day. It is also a compass that people use to find themselves on the map of human 
geography. History tells of people where they have been and what they have been, where they are and what they are. Most important, history tells a people where they still must go, what they still must be. The relationship of history to the people is the same as the relationship of a mother to her child. From antiquity to the present, our people need to develop a new paradigm. It's time for an awakening with your host, Brother Elliot. Sundays, 7 p.m., Fridays at 8 p.m. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit us up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. Uh, this is 812 on this Friday edition of Time for an Awakening Freestyle Friday. Uh, before we get started with our program, I want to welcome my co-host, Philadelphia activist and tour guide at the African American Museum here in Philadelphia, 7th and Arch Street. Brother Richard is with us. Brother Richard. Yes, sir, Brother Ellie. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing fine. I'm, uh, I, if, if you don't mind, and the time for awakening audience don't mind, I'm, I'm once again caught in that, uh, self-reflective mode, I guess. Um, and, and, and this the freestyle Friday may give us, give me opportunity to kind of like, um, throw it out there. We, we had touched it before when we were about the last time we were on, I, I, you know, the question of if we were just too, you know, if we were in, if we were accepted into the American project, um, would we be in agreement with what's, you know, it's, it's growth and development, um, of taking people's land, exterminating people and, and being involved in it. And if we were a separate state, a separate, you know, had a separate state, how different would we be? I guess those are the two kind of thoughts that, um, I'm working through as we're still in, you know, Black August and thinking about those um, men and women, women and men that are in prison, you know, um, who the ones who are who are political prisoners, who as young people gave their lives um, and 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 are their bodies now being captive in the um, in the cells um, for trying to you know liberate um, black people. So that's where I'm at right now. Uh, you know, speak, speaking of that, uh, Richard, and uh, Black August, the, the end of this month is, is approaching. Um, Brother Charles Barron is probably going to join us around 9 o'clock hour because they're having a memorial uh, for Matulu Shakur up there in New York uh, tomorrow, mm-hmm. uh, Saturday, August 25th at 12, from 12 to 2. And it'll also be online. Uh, I'll share some of the Zoom links and all probably later on in the program, especially when he joins us, uh, honoring his memory. Uh, he passed away in July after spending over four decades behind bars, Richard. Mm. Uh, it, yeah. um, and it, it coincides with the conversation that you're about to have and have been having for a number of weeks now and uh, kind of reflecting and, and looking at these things in projection of how we would deal with them then and now. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's what I'm getting from what you're saying. Yeah. So and, go ahead. And, 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 and I wanted to see if I could start with this clip from um, Malcolm. Um, it was um, it's in the middle 60s. I'm going to see if this plays and it can be heard. 
<clears throat> the uh, revolt Can of farmers with the, yes. uh, with the revolt of black people in this country. Because if the farmers are revolting over more or less corn, uh, which is in no way involves the Constitution or, or what this country is supposed to stand for, but the black man in this country is supposed to be uh, getting freedom. The country is supposed to be based on that. Uh, democracy, freedom, justice, equality, and all that stuff that they teach us in school. And uh, now, why should the black man have to go to court to get freedom when a white man in this country is free when he's born? Why should the black man need some legislation to prove that he's a human being when you don't need any legislation to prove that whites are human beings? So I make this point because to come right back to my initial statement at the outside of the program, you will never get real freedom and recognition between black and white people in this country without destroying the country, without destroying the present political system, without destroying the present economic system, without rewriting the entire Constitution. It will be a complete destruction of everything that America supposedly stands for before a white man in this country will recognize a black man as something on the same level with himself. And this is why the Honorable Elijah Muhammad teaches us that the best way to solve the problem is complete separation. Let the black man, those of our people in this country who want to, have a country of our own where we can go and stand on our own feet and solve our own problems and not have to continue going to court or waiting for some politician to legislate for another 100, 100 or two years to prove that we're human beings. So you hear Malcolm, you know, in that in that moment, making the point of what we should do, um, you know, in relationships, standing on our own, um, and and you know, brothers like Tulu Shakur, um, you know, and others, isn't that what they were? The reason why they um, were locked up. I mean, I you know, isn't that the reason why they're considered um, political prisoners? And 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 as as Malcolm said, you know, because try, you know, why should we be, be legislated as a people when we didn't create the condition? Um, something that I discovered, you know, it's two things I discovered before, you know, I just shut down and, and, and wanting to give feedback if it's possible from those in the Time for Waking audience. You know, sometimes uh, you've heard that we were the debate about what came out to be the three-fifth clause came out that discussion in relationship to how white um, planners would be taxed um, because of what the North wanted and what the South wanted. And and I'm saying those are two different uh, economies, right? The South South had a slave slave, um, economy and the North had uh, a, a, those who were, um, you know, it wasn't, they weren't enslaved, you know, um, it was, you know, um, people who were supposedly be free, but they, they came here not necessarily as free people. And the reason I bring that up because in 1776, when they were drawing the confederation amongst them, their states, they won, and I'm, I'm drawing off of, a text American inheritance, liberty and slavery in the birth of the nation, 1765 to 1795. The discussion in relationship to what, what Malcolm says, said in relationship to what we should be 
um, considering and what those who were considered um, political prisoners, what they thought we were moving to, and the question of whether if we were incorporated, you know, by consent, that we would become a part of the American project, you know, would we be in, in the same? But Malcolm said that it would bring the tear up the fiber. This is the discussion they were having um, in 1776 um, in relationship to taxing these now um, colonies that becoming states. Um, one, they were acknowledging that the power of each state would be separate. Um, then a draft, uh, Article 11, um, by um, 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 a Maryland uh, representative, landowner, and slaver, um, he came up with a draft in, in relationship to tax, and it was dealing with the number of inhabitants of every age, sex, and quality. But the Samuel Chase from Maryland um, instead imposed having articles used only the number of white inhabitants, right? Now, so here we have this discussion of separating white versus black, um, free versus enslaved, he, um, rather than the whole number of people. And Chase went on to say, Negroes are property. Um, and, uh, and, and there is no more reason, therefore, for taxing the southern states of the farmer's head and on, on his slave's head than the northern ones on their farmer's head and the head of their cattle. What I'm trying to get at in these passages, and I hope I'm being clear to make this point of what Malcolm said, I mean, you know, the consent of us self-governing compared to us becoming a part of a governing project. But from the very beginning, and, you know, again, they always we always talk about this three-fifth clause, but they're debating that that was eight seventeen eighty seven. They're debating the the status of enslaved Africans in seventeen seventy six as it relates to um, um, taxes. So and how they were going to between these two economies, the North and the South, um, a slave economy and a society with slaves. You know how they were going to um, tax each other and. Right from the beginning, you know, the South Carolina planner Thomas Lynch says, freemen cannot um, um, be got to work in our colonies. It is not in the ability or inclination of freemen, you're talking about white men, to do the work that Negroes can do. Quote, if it is debated whether their slaves are their property, then there is an end to confederation. So what Malcolm said that if... This, you know, uh, if we really wanted to resolve, if this country really wanted to resolve the race, uh, the, the, the the problem of how to address the, it would tear it apart, which we know, you know, eventually it did, right? They had a war about it. But so that's, that's the point from the foundation um, of this country raising the question, of whether we should be, uh, how we should be viewed in these to maintain the establishment of this country, and I just found this this and I you know somebody else posted it, but you know we talk about 
and this is that that was in 1780 1776 um and now I'm pushing when we're talking about um we heard Malcolm talk about that black people need to have a state to itself and I'm trying to get to the point Elliot that the question well are we would we want you know these men and women that went to jail as political prisoners um were or were did we really want to be a nation unto ourselves but you know i didn't know and i don't know if you knew elliot that general sherman um said was suggesting in a speech he did that florida be considered a a negro state and this is after the civil war i don't know if you knew that elliot um I- I didn't know it till after you kind of pulled my coat and I kind of did some more looking into it. And, and I'll end with this, if you don't mind, these two paragraphs of what he said, which is interesting because remember, he, it's Sherman that asked the, you know, the, the leaders, what do you want? And it was the leaders, um, especially, you know, led by, um, you know, the elder that said, well, we would rather be left alone. Right. So we have a history where we're saying what Malcolm said later, almost 100 years later, the same thing. But it seems that, you know, these men and women in jail as political prisoners, it seems that if we don't celebrate Black August, if we don't recognize the contributions that they the sacrifice they made, um, if all we wanted to do was just be a part of this and be like them, that would be in vain. But this is what Sherman said um, in his speech, in his speech in Indianapolis, professed the most, um, it, it goes on to say, um, General Sherman in his speech in Indianapolis professed a most kindly feeling towards the colored people, always paternalistic, and, and declared that he felt under special obligation to promote their welfare because his ancestors has done much to bring them into their present calamitous condition. Now, and now with CRT, they saying they don't even want to hear that they did that. Right. They, they, I don't know what the hell, I don't know what they want to say. He's the, he, he goes on to say, it does not favor their mission to the right of suffrage. However, at the present, but now, he don't want us to be have our own suffrage rights, but however, um, but advocate advocates their colonization and suggests that the state of Florida be a converted into a Negro state with due representation in Congress. Now, remember, Elliot, I keep bringing up, are we a colonized people? I, I don't know if... Uh, if people are getting that, because some people, you know, argue, no, we're not colonized, we're Americans. But all along, they've been trying to, to place us in a situation, call it ghettos at another time, you know, call it call it impoverished areas at another time, in a place where we're subjugated under the power of others. And I'll just end with this, where he, and going on. We see no great objection to the plan of forming a Negro state to which colored people from all sections may immigrate of their own free will, 
with such encouragement, aid from the, the state and general government as may be practicable. Such a colony will would foster a fair field for the development of the capacity of the colored people and would offer an asylum from the oppression and cruelty which is likely to visit upon them in some of the rebel states and on account of their devotion to the Union during the late rebellion. Now, it wasn't just the southern states that was um, adhering to this oppression. I, you know, I would argue in the northern states, Pennsylvania, New York, Boston, Massachusetts, you know, um, they weren't no, you know, for black folks, they weren't no walk in the park. I don't know if you would agree. But here Sherman is saying, you know, like, look, just give them a Negro state and even give them a right to be, to, you know, to be, have a representation in the Congress. But they would be a colony. They won't be like an independent people. But Malcolm was saying we needed to be an independent um, nation and directing ourselves. And anything less than that, trying to make that happen, will tear this country apart. And at this point, we've seen that that's what happened. But on the other side, Elliot, if they would have accepted us in that, you know, again, I beg the question, would we be um, interested in the extermination of the indigenous people, the slaughtering, you know, the, the confiscation of lands in Cuba, Mexico, um, you know, uh, in, in, the, in the Virgin Islands? Would we be okay with that expansion and still be a subjective people, um, you know, even Haiti, would we be okay with that? That's what I apologize to the listening audience. This question keeps wrestling because when I look at our state now and when we have more political representation at any other time, I think even during Reconstruction, and I look at the condition of our rural area, we heard the condition of black farmers and what the federal system has done to deny them the resources they, they're entitled to. And we look at the state of, of the urban areas. We look at the state of the rural areas in Mississippi um, in relationship to water or Michigan or like Flint. When we look at that, you know, um, It it boggles my mind why we don't, at our own volition, say that we are need to self-organize as a national entity unto ourselves. That's plaguing me, Elliot. I I apologize for taking too long, but that's that's the thought I'm wrestling with. Richard, um, if you look at you know, our, our existence here. And just let's just use the parameters of 1619, basically when the English arrived in Jamestown. Although our people were here when French brought them here, the French were here before the English. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, Spaniards were in these areas before the English. So let's just use the parameters of English arriving in 1619. You had the 
uh, Virginia slave codes that kind of guided how we would be considered in this society. Mm-hmm. Uh, spin the clock a hundred years forward and put it around the time that you first started talking about 1776. Mm-hmm. That's over a hundred and something years since the quote unquote arrival of 1619. And they're still dealing with the same issue. They didn't see you as equal. Am I right? Yeah. Okay. Now, and keep in mind at that time, as we discussed in past prior programs, that the Virginia slave codes that had started in the colony of Virginia had became a strong law of the land a hundred years later during the time of Mm -hmm. 1776, because it had Mm -hmm. moved to the formation of 13 colonies by that time. Spend the clock another hundred years to around 1865. The debate was still going on, Richard, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that you weren't seen as equal to whites. And it was a problem that they were dealing with in their legislative halls. You, you were the problem. Even when you were enslaved, you were a problem because some of their founding fathers seen that maybe one day, and some of them wrote about it, that we can't keep these people enslaved forever. And you've read some of those accounts, Richard. Mm-hmm. They wanted to know what was the plan? What's the, what's going to be the plan for these people? Jefferson, who was one of their uh, people that they laud as being one of the uh, foremost of the fathers, was trying to do a preemptive strike. Let's get the ones that are free out of here. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they won't be an issue. We won't have to worry about them. And they could start an external colony somewhere else. They stopped funding that program and it didn't, it kind of failed after they did send some of our people to Liberia. Mm-hmm. Lincoln came up with a similar one, talking about sending them to Central America with the same, right. with the same objectives as Jefferson, who had been dead, I don't know how many decades. Mm-hmm. But the issue was still there. Now, spin the clock up 100 years past that Civil War period to 1964 and 65. The issue was still there. You weren't seen as equal to whites. So you're dealing with a period, Richard, from 1619, just use their parameters, to 1965, you still wasn't seen as equal to whites, no matter how you thought. Keep in mind, because you mentioned how black people felt. Mm -hmm. But whites who were fashioning the system that we lived under didn't feel that you were equal to them. Now, if you talk to some black leadership, they say things have changed. Like, Kamala Harris and like Tim Scott and I'm just using them because they made public statements about this was not a racist country and and also Clyburn but if you look at from and I'll just use their parameters again from 1964 65 when the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act was signed 
What's different now in 2023? The -hmm. debate is still going on, Richard. In fact, some of them laws has been pushed back. That 64 Civil Rights Act has been, now it's the Equality Act. It's the Equality Act that have superseded the 64 Civil Rights Act. And that voting rights that you achieved in 65 has been in jeopardy. So the initial struggle that black leadership always put in front of our people, the struggle, the struggle to be equal with whites. See, that's it. I think that's what you're talking about, Richard. That, That same senseless struggle is here. Why, why are we dedicating all this effort, especially now, to be equal with whites? Focus on what we need to do as a people. There you go. And these people will fade into whatever they're going to fade into. They need you here. You're the lifeblood and always been the lifeblood of this place. But not organized. Yeah. You can't be organized and be the lifeblood. You've got to be disorganized. Mm-hmm. There you go. That's the key. Keeping you disorganized, you can be used. Now, Richard, I, I, I want to use that article that you shared with me. Now, when Sherman went to Indiana and was making his speech, the date was August 4th, 1865. He had already met with our ancestors which we shared the minutes of that meeting in January of that same year. Mm -hmm. So this is afterwards. He's putting these ideas before other whites at this time. His assessments. Now, let me, you read that first paragraph, but you kind of, I'm going to take another paragraph below what you, where you stopped. Mm -hmm. Because you stopped at the, the present calamitous condition. I think you did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, no, you did read that when he advocated their colonization. Right, right. Let me say that. Um, Go ahead. Now, look at, I'm going to drop down to this other paragraph. It says, although the skin, now he called it, uh, the writer that wrote down the minutes of this meeting called it a scheme because this was Sherman's idea. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm quite sure it wasn't his idea alone because he was sent as an embassy, an embassy from Lincoln's office. Right. It says here, although the scheme would, would not probably entirely dispose of the Negroes or of the Negro question, it might, as far as it goes, furnish a practical solution of that most difficult and important problem. Now, hold it, Richard. It says, although the scheme, now the scheme he they're talking about is what he was proposing, a Negro mm-hmm. state, mm-hmm. right? right? It said, although the scheme would probably not entirely dispose of the Negroes or the question. What is the question? That's what we're, that's what we're talking about. What do we do with the Negro? Exactly. Now, it says here, and to continue, it says, it might, as far as it goes, furnish a practical solution of that most difficult and important problem. 
Here we go. That problem that's been around at this time for over two, almost 300 years. The problem Mm -hmm. was you. What do we do with these people? Now, he was suggesting, Richard, to put them in a state, colonize them, and use them. That was his suggestion, Mm -hmm. which wouldn't be difficult in 1865 because you already had blacks that were staunchly in favor of whites using them. I did lack of a better term. You did. Mm -hmm. Even though you had people that were were adamant revolutionaries during this period, you had other people that didn't mind being used and accepted their situation. I know uh, you agree with that. Yeah, that's the ones. I'm, that's the that that is the group that raises the question for me. If they would have given them, would they be in favor of what whites do at their expense? Because they're saying whites is not. If you're colonized, even with Lincoln plan, it was you go over there and work for this white company and make them money, but you'd be out of here. Now, let me. That the same article and see that these are the things that they don't want our people reading and showing use because they'll start with critical thinking. See that their situation here is not what it seems or what they want you to believe. Now, here it is, Richard, in the same minutes from the August 4th, 1865, it says here his proposition. And it was talking about Sherman to organize them as a state of the union, them meaning the Negro. Mm -hmm. His proposition to organize them as a state of the union and to admit them to a representation in Congress shows that he is not governed by the chronic hate and prejudice against the nigger, which has (laughs) been so long the boast of the democracy. Richard, what 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 am I saying here? Mm-hmm. Uh, he 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 don't hate them like we do. <laughs> but wait a minute! Now hold hold it! Now hold it! Keep it! Now look at that again. Look at the writer who's writing these minutes mm-hmm. and what he's saying about what he's hearing. Right? Mm-hmm. Now let's look a little bit at Sherman. Because, and let me read it again, his proposition to organize them as a state of the union and to admit them as representation in Congress shows that he is not governed by the chronic hate and prejudice against the nigger, which has so long been the boast of the democracy. It was a boast of the democracy. Mm -hmm. Now, okay, let's look at that. And I'm going to jump back over to... um, Wait a minute. Let me let me finish that out because I'll finish out his some of his proposals mm. dealing with this Negro state, and then I'm gonna jump to him as an individual. I'm gonna skip down in that same piece that you gave me, Richard, because he was trying to give advantages to organize them as a colonized people. His solution wasn't necessarily to organize people to live independently and govern themselves. Right? They needed to be watched. Is what he's saying. Now here it is. Mm-hmm. Here another advantage. This is uh, this is him giving his pros and cons. Well, not pros and cons. 
not, not to cons. He was giving basically pros to some of his brethren about his suggestion. It says another advantage to the result from the organization of a Negro state would be with the withdrawal of that class of population from such Southern states as considered to deny them the right of suffrage and thus reduce the ratio of their representation in Congress. Under Mm. this process, South Carolina would soon sink to her proper insignificance in the halls of Congress. Now, you know who was in South Carolina, Richard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. South Carolina would soon sink to her proper insignificance in the halls of Congress as elsewhere. And as a minor consideration, but not uh, to be overlooked, the new Negro state would be a reliable, loyal state. And its vote in Congress and at the presidential election would be very sure to be cast for the Union Party, which was the, you know, the, the other party. We, we know it now as the Democratic Party. Right, right. So you see, look at what he said, Richard. Look, look at what he said. This is not, <laughs> come on. I'm glad you shared this with me, Richard. The calculus is there. You know, the calculus, and going back to Malcolm, what he's saying, they're two, like, they just want the vote, right? It's all about just the vote. It ain't about the utilizing the poli- your f- political franchisement for, as a representation of, a representative of a citizen of the state. It's you just, just caught in the wheel to win the party of their favor. And just use you. Mm. So what's the difference now in 2023, Richard? What's the difference in what Biden did with black votes when he went down there and his com- his campaign was on death's door and he got Biden, uh, uh, Clyburn to shift all and the black people voted for him? What's the difference? South, it's South no- Carolina. <laughs> that was South Carolina, the state we're talking about now. South Carolina. Didn't he say, you know, it would depopulate the population within South Carolina? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wow. Now, let me let me read a few things, because if you just take these things on surface, you think that Sherman had some affinity towards black people. Mm. Now, I just want to read a little bit here in reference to Sherman, because after he went to the military, he received his military training in Louisiana. But he was staunch for the union. Wait a minute. Hold it. I'm sorry. He was staunch for the union and to keep the union organized, even though he had an affinity towards the Confederacy. Mm -hmm. Let Let me read some things in reference to him, and that way you can get a clearer picture of him. Uh, William T. Sherman, born in Ohio, Sherman spent much of his life, and I'll just read a couple paragraphs, much of his life among Southerners. In 1836, he entered West Point, where the emphasis on hierarchy and obedience would prepare Sherman well to move later among aristocratic Southerners. Upon graduation in 1840, Sherman spent the next six years as posting across in posts across the deep south 
Florida, Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina. It was it was especially while in Charleston that Sherman got to know the Southern uh, aristocracy, attending parties and going on deer hunts along the Cooper River. Sherman resigned from the army after uh, after his final post and in California and embarked on what turned out to be a spectacular but unsuccessful business career. With the help of his old army friends, he was hired in the summer of 1859 to head uh, a Natchez, Louisiana military academy. Uh, This is what he wrote, Richard. All the Congresses on earth can't make the Negro anything else than what he is. He must be subject to white men, Sherman wrote to his wife in 1860. Two such races cannot live in harmony except as a slave and master. In a letter to his brother-in-law about the plans to bring his family to Louisiana, Sherman crassly joked about becoming a slave master himself. Further, Sherman believed that slavery benefited both races. In 1854, he assured his brother that blacks thrived in southern heat and later told David F. Boyd, one of his professors at Louisiana Military Academy and his eventual friend, that he considered slavery in the South the mildest and best-regulated slavery in the world. Theoretical notions of humanity and... Wait a minute, here's another quote from him. Theoretical notions of humanity and religion, he flatly declared, cannot shake the commercial fact that labor is of great value and cannot be dispensed with. That their labor, I'm sorry, is of great value and cannot be dispensed with. So, you mean to tell me, Richard, his opinions, being a grown man, Mm -hmm. and already in the military at this time, he he was already dealing in the military at this time when he wrote this letter about, uh, 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 of blacks. And I'll read it again. All the Congresses on earth can't make the Negro anything else than what he is. He must be subject to a white man. Two such races cannot live in harmony except as a slave and a master. So when he was coming up with this idea, Richard, about the Negro state, which is four or five years later than what he wrote here in this letter, Mm-hmm. This was his suggestion of controlling them. This is mm-hmm. this was not not type of benefactor type of letter. He already expressed his feelings of how he felt about black people. It was clear. So this and was this was his suggestion about how to deal with them. Mm. Almost how Malcolm used to use that term as the liberal and the conservative. There you go. The liberal have perfected the art of pretending to be the Negro's friend and benefactor. You remember what he said? Yeah. Well, this is, yeah. this is what we're reading in regards to Sherman. Sherman could care less about the blacks. The only way they could govern themselves is if they were under control of some white. He just stated it, Richard. They needed to be unclear. Giving you the perfection of even sitting, having a seat in the Congress. 
but it still would be for the purpose of getting your vote for the favor of the union, the party of their interests. That would now tell me, you tell me, Richard, and I want you to be object, objective. You tell me what's the difference now than his suggestion and what we see now in 2023. And, and that's why people say it's a system. Just because you have a car, it, you know, whether it be a Ford or a Chevy, a Mercedes or a coupe, it still got an engine, a transmission, and four wheels. Now, now they got something with three and two and all that, but it, the same, it's the same. It's still a car, and that's what makes it a system. Until, but it's when, as Malcolm was saying, when we decide, when they try to do something with it to fit us in, it would tear the it would tear the design up, unless we decide that we're going to move on our own accord. Or like those men and women in jail um, as political prisoners, like when they decided, and when they decided we were going to do this on our own, they sent out everybody. Like, we got to get them. But it's it's just, it, it is what it is. I mean, uh, you know, it. Um, that was an interesting piece because I've never, I had, I hadn't been exposed to that, Richard, that he even suggested that. But it's not surprising after reading that and then reading a little of his background, this was his, uh, uh, what did the writer say here? His scheme. Remember what I read the writer said? Mm-hmm. This was his, his, uh, uh, let me read it again. Although the scheme would not probably entirely dispose of the Negro or of the Negro question, it might, as far as it goes, furnish a practical solution of that most difficult and important problem. His scheme. Mm-hmm. And, and the view, the view is, if we're going back to 1776 in South Carolina, the same state as you mentioned that put um, Biden over the hump with a powerful black representative. So it, it goes to that, that, that scheme, you know, of a black state, right? But going back to seven, when Lynch from South Carolina, the planner said, Friedman, and I'm repeating, Friedman cannot be um, be got to work in our colonies. It is not in the ability or inclination of freemen to do the work that the Negroes do. And that's when the Negroes were, you know, work was required, labor was required. We, we're calling in question if our, our labor is required today. And if it's not required, but the sentiment is the same, then the question becomes, well, what do you do with the Negro? Which is still... The question that Sherman was de- dealing with, what do we do with the Negro? Furthering on in this in this paragraph, he said, and he declared in making the affirmative economic case of slavery for Southerners, quote, if it is debated whether the slave, their slaves are their property, there is an end to the Confederation. This goes to another dimension, Elliot. It's not just, you know, whether we're going to colonize. 
It's a group saying, wait a minute now, them Negro, that body is my wealth. And if y'all talk about taking my wealth away from me, no matter, I could do with it what I want. So when we talk about redlining, we talk about a medical apartheid, we, we, when we talk about insurance fraud, we, or, or what is that, payday lending, isn't that the extraction of wealth off of black bodies? And doesn't those institutions, those are primarily white that is doing that? And he goes on and, and it goes on to say, and his state would not remain in a federal union that endangered slavery. Lynch warned if his colleagues, the first of many such threats from Southerners over the coming years, quote, our slaves being our property, why should they be taxed more than sheep, he asked. Now, Franklin, and this is the other fear that the liberals have, and some of, if not all, of the arrogant Southern white. Franklin said, quote, there is some difference between them and sheep, Benjamin Franklin answered, in support of the Wilson point, quote, sheep will never make any insurrection. <laughs> now, is it when we uh, talk about man. political prisons, are we not talking about the, what they seen that that meant? Did they see that to mean that that 40 years, is that to mean that those women and men were plotting, as far as America was concerned, insurrection? It's a, it, that, but that, Richard, that's always been the generational fear. From the first time you, that your feet hit these shores until the present. Until the present. And controlling that. You have to control mm. that. It has to stay under control. Mm. See, that's why uh, it's important that we develop. See, you, you have to develop strong leadership. That's a must. Mm-hmm. Wherever you are. But you have to develop strong leadership and representation that reflects your culture and your objectives. Because if you just develop political leadership to be a part of this system, this system is designed to keep you under control. Mm. And if you just become a politician, you become a cog in that wheel. And you see your own people as enemies of the state. You might not verbally say it, but you do. You see them as revolutionaries, as troublemakers, as insurrectionists, as in, as uh, during the time when we were in, in chattel enslavement. And during that time, you were supposed to come, if you had any information, you were supposed to come and give that information to the plantation masters. And sometimes you were rewarded for it. Well, now you still do the same general thing. Mm -hmm. 
you remember when they set up the NAACP initially and Spingard and all who was involved and you, and you knew what he was, he was a member of Army Intelligence. That was a way for them to get close to the Negro and find out what they were doing. Mm-hmm. It's, it was always about control. But if you let some of our people talk about it, it's about that somebody was uh, black people's friend. How can you be both my friend and my enemy at the same time? Mm-hmm. How does that work? And destabilize Trotter and, and others from creating a organization unto themselves where they said explicitly, we do not want any whites involved. And wait a minute, Trotter and all of those people and a lot of the people in general was never talking about armed insurrection to take control of this government. Nope. All they were talking about was uh, representation to treat our people fairly. If we pay that, we want to be treated fairly. Just like everybody else. But that premise alone is, is not, uh, Richard, do me a favor. Uh, hold on a second. You, you take, take, take control. And one of, one of the things that, that comes out, um, and I'm, I'm looking um, into the text of Fear of Black Consciousness by um, Lewis Gordon. And, and, you know, and that's what, and, and he says, well, what is, fe- what is feared is what one may learn about oneself, the image of oneself that might emerge, which is so interesting because if, you know, in this moment of 2023 and, and we hear that Sherman was proposing Florida. But in 2023, we talking about Florida, talking about it pulling out, making it a, a, a crime to have information that relates to oneself. I mean, I mean, that, ain't that something else? I mean, <laughs> Florida... He proposes in 1865, and in 2023, they're talking about, well, we don't even, not just critical race theory for AP classes, for those who can be able to pass those classes, but that you can't even get information that relates to oneself because of the image of oneself creates a, makes them fear that black consciousness. And and let me add something else, Richard, because you, you mentioned the, the uh, Florida and AP courses. But that just shows... Now, we just read several incidents or in governmental uh, agencies where they were discussing you in ways that they could control you. Would you agree? Yes. Now, you mentioned A-B courses. Now, look at the the monkey wrench, so to speak, that's thrown in. Now, the A-B courses does not only include uh, black struggle, uh, 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 black resistance, things dealing with black people since they was here. It also deals with homosexuality, uh, intersectionality, a gay and lesbian lifestyle, 
What does that have to do with black studies? You don't have anybody, if they were teaching black studies, would have a course where they're talking about a gay or homosexual lifestyle. It just, it, that's, that has nothing to do with black culture or black studies, but that's involved. And they got people, uh, people defending that, knowing that other things are involved, and they might not know. But I just wanted to mention that in regards to what you just stated. A fear of black consciousness, you know, that it all relates to. Let's take a brief break, and when we come back, Brother Charles Byrne is going to join us up in New York tomorrow, uh, Saturday, August 26th, from 12 to 2. Didn't have a memorial for Brother Matulu Shakur, and he's going to kind of billboard things. Uh, this will relate directly, Richard, to uh, what you've been talking about, about Black August. Uh, a lot of these things as part of the discussion and joining us right after the break. I'll be Brother Charles Byrne from New York. We're going to take a brief break. You can join the conversation by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. Time for an awakening. We'll be right back. to Time for an Awakening, Time for an Awakening, with host Brother Elliot and Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. It's coming this is to be Black Liberation Movement. Elmer Geronimo Pratt Gun Club presents the 7th Annual Black Liberation Movement Building Power Summit 2023. Building Power Summit, free the land, undivide, and reclaim. September 15th to the 17th, Jackson, Mississippi at the historic Black Tougaloo College. Portions of the conference to be aired on Time for an Awakening Media, Black Talk Radio Network. Calling all serious black power organizations, revolutionaries, organizers to attend this divine experience. For more information, contact Brother Patrick Lumumba, 662-560-5434, Sister Crystal Denise, 405-361-4751, and Brother Nick Bezel, 512-364-0050. That's the 7th Annual Black Liberation Movement Building Power Summit 2023. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Escape the digital plantation. Abibitumi.com, Abibitumi.tv, Abibitumi.tv.com, Abibitumi.store are here for you. You are ready to be free of non-African social media. Don't run from danger, run to safety. Abibitumi.com is here for you. 
you are ready to be free of digital plantations to control your own products, abibitumi.store is here for you. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I, Black Power, A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. The only word you need to know to join your global Kometsu Black family, to join your interconnected Kometsu Black communities, Escape the digital plantation now, abibitumi.com, abibitumi.tv, abibitumitv.com, abibitumi.store. We are here for you. Escape the digital plantation. that this problem needs to be solved and we can't keep relegating it to generation after generation because a few of us got a little money, a few of us got positions, a few of us have wealth while the masses of our people are going steadily down. No one man can rise above the condition of his people. The brother said responsibility. Is it, is it that we should let them take responsibility to do for us? Or should we pool the knowledge that's at the table, the power that's in our community, the wealth that's in our community to change the harsh reality of black life in America? We have to do the job of fulfilling the black agenda. Thank you. a message to the black man because the black man today is a man who has been made now almost into a laughing stock nobody takes the black man serious we're just used to be somebody's tool we are the sportsmen we're the singers and the dancers and we're also labeled as the pimps and the criminals and the drug dealers, and the killers, and the vagabonds of society. We're the bogeymen of British society and other Western systems. And we want to dispel that lie and destroy those myths and put the black man back on the map where we belong. Who is the black man? The black man is the original man. If it wasn't for the black man, no other men could be on this planet. We are the fathers of humanity. We gave birth to all of you.
we are the watchmen on the wall. You are too. You watch with a political eye. We watch from a spiritual eye. But we're supposed to be the watchmen for the people that vote for us. The sad thing is the people vote, but they don't give you the money to run your campaigns. So here come big business. How are you? How are you, Judge? How are you, Alderman? <laughs> How are you, Congressman? How are you? How are you, Reverend? <laughs> well, what can I do for you today, Reverend? You can't do nothing for me. See, that's what we got to be careful of. We got to be careful of who we bow down to. But well, see, when you get in your congregation and you talk this Jesus, this powerful Jesus that's sitting at the right hand of the Father with all power in his hand, then you go with your hat in your hand to the governor, to the mayor, to the president, begging for some crumbs. You have sold your God cheap. And you make the white man downtown disrespect all of us. Time for an Awakening is a proud part of the Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black digital and podcasting platform. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's 9-13 on this Friday edition of Time for an Awakening Freestyle Friday. You can always join the conversation by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. In New York City tomorrow afternoon tomorrow at noon leading to two in the afternoon uh it's a memorial service for one of our leaders in the struggle that have made transition brother matula shakur moderated the moderator of that event (laughs) will be somebody we well know activist organizer in new york city Council person representing the 42nd district. Brother Charles Byrne is with us this evening in conversation to kind of billboard the event for tomorrow and talk about some of our leaders in the struggle in the movement uh, with the with Black August. Uh, the end of this month coming up. It couldn't be a better time to have Brother Byron on to talk about uh, what's going on tomorrow. Brother Byron, how are you, sir? Well, I'm doing very, very well. Uh, you can hear me clearly? Yes, sir. All right. I'm doing very well, Brother Booker, and I always appreciate you having uh, conscious people on your program to bring some really revolutionary, radical ideas and visions forward. So it is indeed an honor to be on with you and your listening audience tonight. Uh, Brother Charles, talk about tomorrow, the event happening tomorrow uh, with the passing of uh, Matulu in July, uh, memorial service tomorrow, and it it couldn't be at a better time, you know, when we're talking about some of the figures in the struggle and talking about Black August. Richard uh, 
uh, have been talking about this since the month started. Uh, talk about uh, some of the events tomorrow and uh, centering around uh, the mem- remembrance of uh, Brother Matula. Yes, indeed. You know, Black August Matula was born on uh, August 8th and Marcus Garvey was born August 17th. So Black August is a time for us to really highlight some of the greatest uh, leaders and leadership in our movement. And certainly Dr. Matulu Shakur was one such person. You know, I always like to preface all of my uh, times that I speak that is very, very important for us to be black radicals and revolutionaries during this time. Uh, we have to always keep in mind as we honor people, as we organizing around singular issues, whether that issue is reparations, if we don't liberate ourselves, we bring our reparations back on the American plantation. If that issue is political prisoners, if we don't fight for radical revolutionary changing of this colonial capitalist system, then our political prisoners are coming home on the American plantation. So no matter what the issue is, we have to be revolutionaries in this age. I'm not trying to pass this on to the next generation. I would like to see a revolutionary change in my generation, in my lifetime. And that's what Dr. Matulu Shakur was all about. He was a true, I mean, consummate revolutionary. He was one of the honest, brutally honest and beautiful brothers you ever want to meet. Uh, Dr. Matulu Shakur, and we say doctor because he was an acupuncturist, and he came out of the revolutionary movement of the Republic of New Africa, and that's why we say free to land by any means necessary. He worked very closely with the Black Panther Party. He was a part of the Black Liberation Army. He was also very, very close in, in an admiration when he was young of Malcolm X, of Baba Herman Ferguson, of Obubadika Sonny Carson. These were all his mentors. Uh, he was a brave soul. He put his life on the line. They had mentioned one time that they was in the church, and Baba Ferguson and Ayula Ferguson, his wife, were in the church, and some shots came into the church. The police started attacking him. He was only 17, and he got on top of them and, and covered them up to make sure that they wouldn't be harmed. When he came to Harlem, he worked very closely with the young lords, and Chacha Jimenez was with Fred Hampton in Chicago, but Felipe Luisiano and the Young Lords in New York City, Matulu was with them, and they, they hooked up a detox center in Lincoln Hospital, and hundreds, if not thousands, of our people that were strung out on drugs. Matulu went to China, went to Canada, and he became a master at, at acupuncturist, and he was able to heal all of these folks. And... They, to this day, many people attribute him attribute to him saving their lives because of his acupuncturist. And then they, of course, they accuse him of being in the, on the Brinks arm robbery thing um, and, and arrested him and had him in prison for 35, 36 years and made him stay in there. And then there are brothers in prison that said Matulu saved their life. Of course, he's known as the stepfather of a... Uh, Tupac Shakur and the husband of uh, Fanny Shakur, the Black Panther, a mother of Tupac Shakur, who was also the star of the Panther 21 trial and got them to be free. So the Shakur family has contributed so much in their 
daughter, uh, Setua, who we've known very well. So I've been uh, honored to have been very close with the Shakur family. I remember, and I'll never forget, when uh, my son Jawanza and I went to Atlanta to visit Matulu when he was incarcerated. We stayed with him for two hours. The brother never once said, what are y'all going to do to get me out of here? He said, take care of my children. Stay in the struggle, Brother Barron, and make sure that you fight to the end. Never give up. And he was talking about having a truth and reconciliation commission to put American imperialism and capitalism and terrorism on trial. This brother was a, a revolutionary to the end, and he often talked about the importance of young people, particularly he was very close to hip-hop, and they did the thug life thing, which was more positive than what people thought, and he felt that uh, Tupac did have a, a leadership role and could bring this whole hip-hop generation to another level. And so when he became in that stage five cancer, and even in that state, he was still messing with their minds. Uh, his lawyer and his son, Talib Shakur, told me that when they went to the hospital and they were trying to see if he had his good sense because he was 70-something years old, and they asked him his name, they asked him if he knew his son, he said yes. And this is when we knew he was all right. They asked him, who is the present president of the United States? And he said, Charles Barron. So we <laughs> knew he was messing with their minds and that he was actually all right. And so he came out, and the good fortune of that is that at least he got to make his transition with his loving family around him. And he came out working, still working. So tomorrow, uh, from 12 to 2, Operation Power, we're going to honor him and have a whole program uh, by him. And we are encouraging people to join us because he is a special, special brother, a revolutionary brother. And we're looking forward to having people be with him. His son, Talib Shakur, you know, will be on with us. And uh, a longtime warrior, spent 40 years incarcerated, member of the Black Liberation Army, and still fighting strong and free political prisoners, Sekou Odinga is going to be on with us. So Brother Sekou Odinga, Brother Talib, his son, is going to be on with us. We're going to show some clips of Matulu and what people are saying about Matulu. And this true revolutionary, a lot of us don't may not know who he is, our children, our young people in the schools, but this is a brother who really extended the life of a lot of our people who would have been making their transition by now and on methadone instead of having acupuncture. And so Matula Shakur, he was a champion to all of us. He was a champion for the liberation of Africa and African people all throughout the diaspora, and we will be honoring him tomorrow. Brother Charles, before I pass the mic to Brother Richard, let, let me ask you a question because you, you know you knew Dr. Matulu and you, you know his family. You know, when we talk about our people, and some of them have become eld, uh, uh, ancestors, and some of them are here, that dedicate their lives to the struggle and helping our people, it's always the average black man. And when I say the average, I'm talking about uh, a, a, a sanitation worker, a uh, a, a a guy working at a office, 
a guy working at a restaurant. Matula was a doctor. Yes. He was a medical doctor. What got him involved in the, the struggle, the Republic of New Africa, and other liberation organizations? What turned him into really dedicating his life to helping his people? It's something, it's a switch that goes on. It's a switch that happened in your mind. Just, That's talk, right. just talk about it from your perspective and knowing him as a man, and you can relate it to your own life. What is it well, that turns out? Well, people? you know, go ahead. What, um, Matulu has always said that his mother was blind, and he was taking care of his mother. And he said, when his blind mother got treated so badly by this system, he said that's what ignited him to fight this system because of the way they treated his blind mother. And from that point on, he made a commitment that no other people. No other black people should be treated like that and that he was going to do something about it. So at a very early age, he got involved and he got involved in our movement and he raised his consciousness to the point where he was a part of RAM, the Revolutionary Action Movement. And he joined the Republic of New Africa and said that we should have the Black Belt South and five states there. And now he was rethinking that strategy, but he became a consummate revolutionary, and it was motivated by love. See, a lot of people think revolutionaries are motivated by some romanticism about picking up guns and taking on the system. That's done out of desperation. When the FBI, under the COINTEL program of J. Edgar Hoover, the counterintelligence program of the FBI, says that the Black Panther Party is the most dangerous organization to the internal security of America, and they should be eliminated, neutralized. You then, and then they come out and actually try to do that, you have to defend yourself. And so when people think of the Black Panther Party, they often think about the guns and the shootouts with the police. That happened only because the police insisted on eliminating Black Panthers and putting them in jail and murdering them in the street. And so some said, no, I'm not going to be sitting at home waiting for you to come by and murder me. We're going underground, and we're going to engage in a, a war to protect ourselves, a war of self-defense. And so uh, people, as Asada Shakur said, revolutionaries are not, don't drop out of the moon and drop out of the sky. We're born because of our conditions. And when we see the conditions that our people are in, the first thing we try to do is to resolve it peacefully. We protest. We, we encourage our people to join organizations to let's feed ourselves. Let's pool our resources together. Let's build a nation within the nation. They don't want to feed us. Let's buy some land and feed ourselves, clothe ourselves. Let's teach ourselves, build our own institutions. And then when you say, but wait, I'm giving you my taxpaying dollars, and you're saying, I ain't giving you nothing in return. So then you start fighting the system peacefully. And then when the prince of peace and love and nonviolence and integration, Martin Luther King, is murdered, and then the father of self-defense and black nationalism and by any means necessary, Malcolm X, is murdered. And so it doesn't matter whether you peacefully protest or whether you say, let's do armed struggle. You go against this colonial capitalist system, and they murder you. And even if you don't do anything wrong, 
Most of the cases, George Floyd wasn't no revolutionary, murdered. Amadou Diallo wasn't no revolutionary, murdered. Sean Bell wasn't no revolutionary, murdered 50 bullets. And I can go on and on for the rest of this program at all of these innocent black men and women who never committed a crime, never picked up a gun, never even said they were going to do anything against this system, but murdered John Carlos and Tommy Smith. What was their crime? Putting up a black glove, clenched fist at the American flag in the Olympics? That's not, that's, that didn't kill nobody. That didn't attack nobody. That didn't destroy no property. That didn't hurt or harm an individual. But what happened, they were castigated to the point that John Collis's wife committed suicide and they couldn't find jobs nowhere. So what makes us revolutionaries? Love, the love of our people. To see in my beloved East New York, I see what they're doing to my people in New York. When I was a young man growing up in the Lillian Wall public housing and I saw what was happening to black people and then I saw these brothers with their black berets and black leather jackets, I said, I got to get down with that because these folk are killing us. And then we're engaged in self-destructive behavior, killing ourselves. So this is what motivates revolutionaries. And it's important for us to not just organize around singular issues, even if it is reparations, and even if it is freeing political prisoners, we got to radically change the colonial capitalist system. We're in the belly of a beast that's murdering people domestically and all over the globe. Their days are numbered. They're wounded. They're losing. They're fighting each other, whether it's Ukraine war or they're fighting each other, whether it's Trump versus Biden. They're fighting each other. Capitalism is dying all over the world. And we just have to make sure as we in the belly of this beast that we don't die with it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Richard. Yes. Yes. Um, Brother Byron, I'm always honored, you know, at, um, with your presence and, and, and insight. And, and, you know, the thought that came to me as, as listening to, to us was um, Brother Matula, as you said, was a healer. And and I, I wanted to get um, any um, thought reflection as a revolutionary healer. Did he express anything that you captured of what that means to be a healer, to be a revolutionary healer? And I might be frame, creating that frame, and and even your reflection as as it relates to because it seems that he you know as you said it isn't just about picking up the gun right it is it is about dealing with the pain, you know, transferring. So what, did he have something that we should know about of his life commitment also as a healer that you could be able to share and what a revolutionary healer means to you? You know, that's an excellent, excellent question because Matulu didn't feel, let me just do some acupuncture on these brothers and sisters so they can stop using drugs and then just go back to business as usual. See, healing, a revolutionary healer, goes beyond the physical and biological healing. You also have to have some mental healing. I think Steve Biko said it best, the most potent weapon in the hands of the oppressor is the mind of the oppressed. Mm -hmm. So while Matulu was providing that healing, he was an educator, a master educator. So he highlighted the contradictions in the system 
and we heal people so that they can become revolutionary, so that they can become radical, so that they can become activists. We don't want to heal you, and then you just go back to business as world, as usual and don't fight for justice and fight for liberation. It's the same thing like I do in, in my beloved East New York. Oh, Charles, I need a job, man. You talk all of that black, radical, <laughs> radical, reverend stuff, but I need a job. I said, my brother, I got your 6,000 jobs. Now, will you join the movement? Oh, but Charles, you know, um, the landlord is messing with me. I stopped him from throwing you out. I stopped gentrification from coming into East New York. And we got real affordable housing for the people in our district as we define affordability. So I got your housing. Now can you join the movement? I don't want to just get you a job and get you some housing and take care of your school issues and, and fight against crime and try to make the place a little safer for you, just to you to go back to business as usual. So we do all of this, and Matulu was the best at it. Anybody that spent a moment with Matulu, your life was going to change. Your mind was going to change. It wasn't just your biological or physical healing, but it was your mental liberation. And it, and it, and it brings you know uh, thought as we as we move to this because you know the the prison system um, you know they make us think that it's only in general even when they talk about the prison industrial complex that um, there is no such thing as political prisoners right there is no you know as far as dealing with black and brother Matula was a um, and correct me if I'm wrong he considered a political prisoner not just a prisoner um, or someone locked up. Um, is, it, is it important for us to know that distinction um, as we celebrate Black August, recognize Black August? Absolutely. Now, America goes across the world getting on governments that have people incarcerated because of their political beliefs. They go across the globe talking about how people in Russia, people in China, people in this country and that country doesn't have the freedom of speech that speaking out against the government can get you killed in those countries. Well, damn it, that's just what happened here. <laughs> you know, in the 1960s and now to this day, we're talking about look at what they're doing to Amali Yeshitela and the African People's Socialist Party, talking about they were used by Russia to, to, to fight against reparations. Russia, Russia did this, and they're actually under indictment and have to go to court, and they stop banks from loaning them any money and cut off their, their economic sources. For what? For Organizing programs, they've been, in, they've been out here for 50 years dealing with reparations. Russian connection was the last two years. So how insulting right now. And look what all what happened to all of our people in the 60s who just spoke out against this system. Look what a little football player took a knee to the national anthem and got kicked out of the league. And then later on, Nancy Pelosi puts on a kente cloth and she takes a knee. You know, what kind of madness is this? So, you know, we got to look at these contradictions yes. in this country, in the belly of this beast. A lot of people are 
political prisoners and prisoners of war. So some people decided to go underground and defend themselves. And some people are in there just for their political beliefs. And most of the political prisoners, if you get 25 years to life, which is a lot of them got, and after 25 years you go up for parole, and they say we're not going to parole you because the nature of your crime was so vicious, well, you can't change the nature of your crime. You can't change the initial crime, so-called crime. Most of them were trumped-up charges in kangaroo courts, and nobody ever did anything. A lot of them don't even have bodies attached to their cases, and they're still in there for 20 and 30 years. But after 25 years, when you go up for parole, your parole is based upon your time served while you were incarcerated, not your initial crime, because you can't change that. So if you got 25 and you did 25, every one of our political prisoners had impeccable records in prison, no infractions, joined groups, got degrees, helped other inmates to make sure that they could survive and thrive. And so there's no reason to hit them for two more and two more like they did Matulu 10 times. And, and, and say Kuwadinga, 40 years. We just got Herman Bell out, Jalil Montecum, and Seth Hayes in New York State. One of the good reasons why you should get in the electoral arena is I was in the state assembly, and I got the Black, Latino, Asian, Hispanic caucus to sign on to a letter sent to the parole ball for Herman Bell, for Jalil, and for Seth, and they got out. We were able to get a reparations bill passed in New York State. wasn't the one I wanted, but I initiated it. They watered it down and passed it. But at least that's in the makings. So this whole idea of revolutionaries being the violent ones or the ones that's causing the system to attack is nonsense. The 13th Amendment said slavery shall be abolished except as a punishment for crime. We went from the plantation to the penitentiary, mm. and that's what we're fighting to this very day. And, and if, I, if I may, Elliot and, and, and Brother Barron, if I can ask one more question that comes to my mind based off of your response and based off of the context we're in, because we know that, um, you know, the, the police system, you know, which is the first engagement of the military system. And we know that the police system was also um, tied to the military system and Brother Matula and the State Department. Uh, So when we talk about political prisoners, we're not just talking about local crimes of theft and things like that. We're talking about people, as you said, who have certain ideals of what black people should have as far as sovereignty. And what I I wanted to know, um, which I heard somewhere else, and, and I apologize for I can't remember, but should we, um, what do you think about the police union being decertified in the sense of it being a organized unit, political unit, supporting politics, but at the same time, it's a service. It provides a service, supposed to provide a service from the political, from the city itself or from the state itself. I'm asking because the police union is powerful and they have been used to curtail black voice. 
on Brother Matul is is an example. So what do you what do you think of that idea? Of well, we always see the police as an occupying force, like a foreign mm-hmm. occupying force, whether they're black or white, in our neighborhoods to protect the person and property of the colonial capitalist system, number one, and to perpetuate the prison industrial complex because a lot of things are being made in prison now with prison labor, and they don't have to pay you anything. So people must remember the NYPD in New York City came into existence in about 1854, 1855, right after slavery was abolished in New York in 1827. So, you know, prior to the formation of the NYPD and the 13th Amendment, when black people were off the plantation and they committed a crime, they had pig laws and all of these things, and they had corporations in the courts. So if you get arrested for stealing a pig because you're hungry and you just got off the plantation and then you go to court, well, the judge, the magistrate, they get a fee because of uh, your capture, so they get a fee for you. The, the marshals who arrested you get a fee, and then the corporations that were in the court in the court waiting for your sentence, and when you couldn't afford to pay your fine or couldn't afford to pay your bail or whatever, these corporations, they said, we'll pay for it. It was called, called convict leasing. So mm-hmm. lease it to us, we'll pay for it, and then you become a contractual slave to that corporation for the rest of your life. The NYPD was put together to capture runaway slaves in New York, enslaved Africans. That was their job, and they're still running around here thinking like they're supposed to be capturing some runaway enslaved Africans. So the purpose of the NYPD was not to bring safety and bring crime down in our community, but it's to keep us held captives in our domestic colonies called black communities under a colonial capitalist system. So this has been the problem, and people need to see it as that. So when you say get rid of the union, absolutely. We believe in community control of the police. The black community should control the police policies and the personnel. Whoever's going to be patrolling our community, we should be the ones that determine who patrols our community, who polices our community, and what the policies will be. That's what we have to fight for. So we can say we don't want stop and frisk. We don't want the, the broken mirrors, windows, mirrors, whatever they call it, and they're going to arrest every young people for a minor crime so they don't commit a major one later. Yeah, right. So for jaywalking, littering, uh, loitering, you, you're going to get arrested and put through the system and, and ruined for the rest of your life. We have to take control over the black community. The Black Panther edict, the first uh, point of the Black Panther Party says, we want the power to determine the destiny of our beloved black communities, meaning we want control over every institution in our black communities, everyone, the education, the healthcare delivery, the police, every transportation, every institution, that's liberation of a community. And to do that, you got to deal with state power. You got to deal with electoral politics 
and you got to deal with black nationalism and saying we're going to do for self. But you can't do for self by yourself. It's all right to say do for self and let's build a nation, but then you're giving tax to the host nation and they ain't giving you nothing back. <laughs> so you got to demand what you, most of our people are going to be in public schools, no matter how many independent schools we built. So we got to have a dual struggle for both until we become a nation. I agree. I understand. Let's go. We got a couple calls on. Let's go to, uh, let's go to Philadelphia first. 215, 215. Oh, Elliot. Brother Elliot. 215. Can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Yes. Oh, how you, how you doing, Elliot? How, how you doing, uh, Brother Richard? How you doing, Brother Barron? Doing fine. Oh, praise be to Allah. Yeah, Brother Barron, I just wanted to say first, uh, I joined Brother Elliot Richard and commend you for coming on. You, you, you like Malcolm, you make it plain, Brother Barron. I mean, you Thank just you. came on. You're welcome with wealth of information. And, you know, it's, it's ironic, Brother Barron, that you mentioned Tupac Shakur because I told Elliot, I don't know if Elliot remember the conversation. I mixed him maybe close to a month ago about Tupac. I saw, you know, I say, you know, when he, when he was uh, killed, he was 25, so he had his whole life in front of him. And I say, and I say to this day, I like people like Meek Mills and some of these other guys that I have, you know, degrading our women, saying all kinds of things. I said, Tupac, to me, was different because I saw an interview, Brother Baron, that he did on BET when he was a young Tupac Shakur, and he first, first, not first, actually first heard of him, and he was interviewed by the system, BET, light-skinned system, I can't think of a name right off hand. But anyway... I looked at this young at the time he had to be no more than seventeen, eighteen, not whatever he was. And I tell you, brother Ben, he was so intelligent, man. He was so articulate, and he, mm. he was talking about he was talking about our history. He was talking about Malcolm. He he, he, he said talking about Malcolm and people like that. And I said, who is this brother? You know what I mean? I said, why is this brother? He had so much potential. I said, this brother is it, it, like a breath of fresh air. And that's why to this day, brother Ben, I do believe, like you said earlier, had Tupac lived. He would, I think he would have put the hip-hop community together. He would have got a lot of these brothers out here that, was, that, that was out here doing the negative gangster rap and everything. I think he would have, Tupac would have been to educate them brothers and bring them along in, in, in such a uh, holistic way, for, 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 you know, for, uh, for lack of a better word. I really well, you that. know, you, you hit it right on the head. You know, I got an opportunity to visit Tupac when he was in Clinton Hill Prison in New York State, and mm-hmm. we spent about an hour or two with him. And he was saying, he said, Brother Baron, the, the best I could do when I come out, I can't tell him to stop dealing drugs. I can't tell him to put this down and stop doing this. But what I will do, and he worked with Matula with this, and they had a code that thug life mm-hmm. was a positive thing. and it, it wasn't negatively thug. It was an acronym for something positive. And so sure. he said, I can go to these folk, and I'm going to tell them that we, we got to put the guns down. We got to you know, stick together with each other and I I can deliver a revolutionary message and I can set up some basketball tournaments and and I can get with Snoop Dogg and all of them and say, hey, look, I'll bring him into a hotel and say, look, I can't stop you all from dealing with, but don't deal him in front of schools. Don't give them to kids. Don't do this. Don't do that. So he was trying to work within the context of how he can do it. Tupac was brilliant. I first met him when he was before he even got into famous and before he was in with digital underground and went to Baltimore, I had an mm-hmm. apartment in, in, um, a, a Brooklyn and Benson, Bedford Stuyvesant and him, a Faney, 
and Setua used to come to my house. We'd have dinner sometime. And when he was young, you know, he was very shy. He was mm-hmm. very shy. Right. And uh, you could see it from time to time. But, you know, when you become uh, a public figure, even if you have a shyness about you, you always have to perform. You always have to put on a front and you always have to be ready because you're always under attack. But he was actually very sensitive, a little shy, and he was extremely intelligent. He was brilliant. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. it's just a matter of who was going to influence most. I remember Faini uh, said to me, Charles, you know, you gotta, you got to talk to Tupac because he's going to be out soon and I need you to go talk to him. That's when I went up to the prison to see him. And then after that, you know, he hooked up with Suge Knight and the rest is history. But right. um, he was a brilliant, brilliant soul. And, uh, and, uh, he, and he influenced people all over the world. He did, yes, yes. Because, you know, like here in Philadelphia, uh, uh, Brother Baron, you know, it's, it's not a shock when I'm down t- in downtown Philadelphia. I see white kids with Tupac. And I, of course, they oh, yeah. But, they, but they, I see white kids with Tupac uh, uh, shirts on and everything. You know what I mean? White oh, yeah, girls, all over the world. I mean, this brother was in Asia, in Africa, yes. in yes. Europe, in in the Latin America, he was worldwide. He was a brilliant yes, man. Yes, indeed, and stuff. You know, that's why I say to this day, who knows what what, what kind of hearts and and souls and and, and things he could have did had he had he you know had had he been, been alive. You know, you said something. You made me think about two things when you say, if he was still alive, what he would have done. You know, who I feel the same way about Fred Hampton. Yeah, oh, if no doubt. Fred Hampton no would have lived. Yes. All of that yes. killing that's happening in Chicago would have yes. stopped. He was organizing all the street organizations. Him and yes. Chacha Jimenez from the Young yes. Lords, the Brown Berets, yes. they were all getting together. And they were, the, how, why would you want to murder somebody who was getting gangs together and turning them into street organizations? And, exactly. And, you know, why would you want to murder somebody like that, you know? Mm-hmm other than you want us to maintain that kind of negative lifestyle so we can fill up your jails. Exactly. And, and but I, won't, I won't take up too much time, but let's say, this, say these last couple of things and I, and I get off. You know, like you're right, this is country, and you know, it just pains me as a 62-year-old black man when I heard some of the ignorance from some officers that should know better because, like you said, when you're talking about American imperialism, this country goes around the world telling other countries, like you say, we arrested China, we're about human rights, and they and they, and, they, and they and the very stuff that they talk about, they do it to black people and people of color on a regular basis. Right here on a regular. Exactly. Look, right here when, you look at, when you look at some of these company, countries, when I was growing up, mm-hmm. and then I had an opportunity to go up to the Harlem branch of the Black Panther Party, and I would get some political education in my Panther newspapers and come back on the Lower East Side and sell them, but can you imagine in America, here this country supported Jean-Claude Duvalier, Papa Doc, and Baby Doc in Haiti, a murderer. That's correct. Supported the Shah of Iran, a murderer. That's correct. Supported Pinochet in Chile, a murderer. That's Salvador correct. Allende, a socialist, they murdered. He was yep. duly elected in Chile. And then the Sandinistas, they was with Somoza, a murderer. They was mm-hmm. with Batista in Cuba, a murderer. Mm-hmm. All of these. So, so my heroes was Kim Il-sung, North Korea, fighting against 
the imperialist America. My hero was Ho Chi Minh in, yes. in, in Vietnam fighting yes. against American imperialism. My hero was Kwame Nkrumah, Seiko Torre, and from Kwame Nkrumah in Ghana, uh, Che Guevara, Fidel Castro, you know, Mao Tse-Sung, and look at all of these brothers, uh, Julius Nyerere and Tanzania, yes. all socialists yes. and revolutionaries were my heroes, and America was all about dictators. And so yes. it doesn't matter who the president is of the colonial capitalist system. So they changed management. It went from <laughs> Bush, a right-wing conservative racist cracker, to a neo <laughs> black neo-colonial puppet of imperialism, Barack Obama, to a yes, neo-fascist sick man, Donald Trump, back to a, a neoliberal racist, Biden, these are all managers of a colonial capitalist system with its imperialistic foreign policy and with the ideology of racism that permeates every institution and pollutes the mind of most individuals. <laughs> so changing the manager of colonialism, and you might have one a little worse than this one here and there, it's not going to bring us liberation. We get involved exactly. in the electoral arena as a tactic. You're not going to be able to vote your way to freedom, but you can get some resources for your people. Yes. I have been yes. blessed to beat the machine for 20 years, and I've been able to hire people like Viola Plummer of the December 12th movement and yes. Omowali yes. Clay. They were on staff so we can have salaries to organize our people. And we were able to stop gentrification, stop Walmart. We was able to get letters to free our political prisoners, push reparations, and I've been in their face. You know, some people said, Charles, you need to learn how to play the game. No, I came to change the game. And I ain't kissing no part of the anatomy I ought not be kissing. I'll kick it first. <laughs> brother, man, it's been a pleasure. It's been an honor and a pleasure, man. I tell you, like I said, you like Brother Mark, you make it plain, you keep it real, you keep it real, you make it plain. Brother Elliot, put me on mute and I'll listen to the rest of the show. Love you, Brother Bambi. Man, I, like I love you too. Thank you, man. You're welcome. Thanks for your call. You're welcome, Elliot. Let's go to uh, New York. New York, are you there? New York. Okay, we lost them. Brother Byron, um, you mentioned about achieving resources for our community uh, through the system that we're governed under. And with the organization that you've uh, formed and been a part of, such as Power, the necessity to develop conscious leadership stands in front of our people. Because the media and the majority of current black leadership advocates uh, leadership that uh, is favorable to white domination. Right. I mean, it's clear. Right. Talk about the need, the strong need, as, oh, an, as an elected <laughs> official yourself, for us to develop right. conscious leadership. Well, you know, it is critical. This is what we're doing in Operation Power. In New York State slash New York City, the only black radical elected official was Inez Barron and Charles Barron from the Operation Power movement. All of these others that claim they're socialists and radicals and all of that, once they got in, they 
became more pragmatic than principle. And pragmatism is a way of, uh, you can easily compromise your principles. So it is important for us. Our biggest problem is not Donald Trump and all of that stuff. On a local level, hmm. it's the black misleadership, the black colonial puppets of the Democratic Party. That's what our big problem is. And it's hard to beat them. We beat the machine for 20 years. In the last two years, they got their seats back. They got my seat back in the city council. They got our nurses back in the state assembly. But, assembly. but we held them down for 20 years we beat the machine. And we ain't going nowhere. They may have gotten those seats back in the last two years, but we are running candidates and training candidates, so we're going to be in that running for a long time to come. So every revolution, every movement, has to deal with state power. Castro ran for Congress. And then when Batista nullified that election, they went to the hills and did armed struggle. Daniel Ortega and the Sandinistas ran for office and won. Even I went to the Middle East, I visited the Gaza Strip. Hamas, they say terrorists and all of that, they ran for office and beat the sellout Arabs. And now Israel and America can't handle that. In South Africa, they said one person, one vote. In Zimbabwe, the ZANOPF, they beat the sellouts. So you have to engage in state power, but it has to be with the right people. So on a local level, everywhere where we have a majority in the community, we got to be the Chope Lamumbas who ran for council and won and then ran for mayor and won. We got to be the Inez and Charles Barons, black radicals committed to revolution to get into office because we have resources once you get in. That's your taxpaying dollars. You ain't begging the white man for nothing. See, it's not, it's not wise to say, here, take my taxpaying dollars, but I ain't going to ask you for nothing. I'm going to do for self. Okay. No, you got to do both. We got to do for self. But since you took my taxpaying dollars, you're going to give me my fair share so that my community can have some economic development and I can have an entrepreneur program for my young people. I want schools built in my community like you do in a white community. I have three new $88 million schools that I got built in East New York. I want my parks to be renovated. I renovated Inez and I and Operation Power. We got seven parks renovated for nearly $50, $60 million. We have a new community center. Why? Because we had the power to tell the developer we're not signing off on this project on housing unless you build a community center. And they did. A new library, two new libraries, scholarships for CUNY students. All that, I can't do this outside of that arena. I went in, took on the mayors, took on the governors. People said, Charles, man, you got to stop talking to them like that. You ain't going to get nothing. You're not going to win. Well, I won, and I got more in my district than those sellout Negroes kissing butt. I got more kicking butt than they got kissing butt. <laughs> Richard? Yes, yes. Yes, yes. I, I listen to you, Brother Baron, and I'm like, uh, when I grow up, 
I ain't messing with y'all. When I grow up, I was just listening to, uh, you know, um, um, from the, it was the mayor of D.C., Marion Barron, and, huh. and and what he was able to do when he came into office. And yep. I listened to you and, and what you were able to do with the same, out of the same history, right, as far as mm-hmm. in the community and utilizing political power in order to be able to change That's right. of the people and bringing the people. So it's it's just it's it ain't it ain't for the faint at heart. And I'm just, oh, you got that right. You got that right. <laughs> so I'm trying to figure out well, how how strong is my heart. I better get my blood pressure checked. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You better because they gonna throw every. They call me everything but a child of God. And you know, in the New York, you know, media man. You get millions of people are going to get the negative stuff that they beat up. They were so glad that I wasn't going to go back to the city council. They was calling me anti-Semitic, anti oh, man, all kinds of stuff. But you know what? In my beloved East New York, when I came in there, 70% of the population was black and 20% was Latino. We still have 90% black and Latino in East New York because we stopped gentrification. When you look at Washington, D.C., we used to call it Chocolate City. Now it's Marshmallow City because only 46% are black. In Atlanta, it used to be 70 80% black, 40-something percent black now. We're losing black population over. And guess who's, who we lose, who's in charge when we're losing it? Yeah. Black elected officials. <laughs> there wasn't no white elected officials given that land, that gentrification of Washington. There wasn't no white elected officials given all of that property and projects to these white boys in Atlanta. And in New York, Harlem is gentrified. Bed-Stuy is gentrified. Um, Crown Heights is gentrified. Canarsie is gentrified by black politicians, not whites. Wow. Brother Byrne, listen, uh, I wish we could uh, uh, broadcast the the, uh, the program tomorrow, but that I'll be unable to do that. But I, I would you like understand. I would like you to send me that uh, feed once it's over, and I'll post it to the website so people that oh, that oh absolutely, we'll great. definitely do that. Great. Uh, before we leave tonight, uh, Brother Brian, give out how people can hear and 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 even be a part of the uh, the uh, memorial tomorrow. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we do have, like you said, the time was from um, uh, 12 to 2. And I'm going to give you a number to call. I had the flyer up on my on my my thing here, but I just went away. Anyway, um, 12 to 2 tomorrow, and you can um, call this number. Hold it. Let me find this. You can call this number, and I'll make sure... That they matter of fact, call my number 917-763-3091. and then I'll connect you to our tech people, and they'll send you the link. Now I do have on uh, my information is, is Zoom ID and the passcode. Oh, good. That's what I was looking for. Good. The Zoom ID. Grab my number. See, you made me give out my number. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I had it on my phone, but it went blank, and I couldn't find it. Well, so listen, you can I give know, out that, that passcode. Yeah, yeah it's 
830-288-8488. Again, that's 830-422-80488. It's a Zoom ID. Uh, you know, once you put it on your device, see your Zoom. Most people already have Zoom on their device. And the yep. passcode is 834742. Again, that passcode is 834742 to uh, hear and be a part of the ceremony. Yep, it's going to be beautiful, and he's most deserving. I appreciate y'all. Thank y'all so much, man. Brother Keep bro- up the good work. Brother Brown, I'll talk to you soon. Take care now. Peace. All right now. All right. We'll be right back. Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at time for an awakening at gmail.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency in business for over 20 years. Located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services. Representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies. Offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 215 215- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. the digital plantation. Abibitumi.com, abibitumi.tv, abibitumitv.com, abibitumi.store are here for you. You are ready to be free of non-African social media. Don't run from danger, run to safety. Abibitumi.com is here for you. You are ready to be free of digital plantations to control your own products. Abibitumi.store is here for you. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. Black Power. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. The only word you need to know to join your global you black family to join your interconnected Kometsu black communities. Escape the digital plantation now. Abibitumi.com, abibitumi.tv, abibitumitv.com, abibitumi.store. We are here for you. 
escape the digital plantation. A new era, a new phase of the struggle, where we have moved from a struggle for decency, which characterized our struggle for 10 or 12 years, to a struggle for genuine equality. And this is where we're getting the resistance because there was never any intention uh, to go this far. People were reacting to Bull Connor and to Jim Clark rather than acting in good faith for the realization of genuine equality. Do you think white people in this country, and I'm talking about non-segregationists, people devoid or thinking they're devoid of racism, do you have any idea of what they want the Negro to be in America? I think the vast majority of white Americans uh, will go but so far. It's a kind of installment plan for equality. And uh, they are always looking for an excuse uh, to go but so far. And know that this problem needs to be solved and we can't keep relegating it to generation after generation because a few of us got a little money, a few of us got positions, a few of us have wealth while the masses of our people are going steadily down. No one man can rise above the condition of his people. The brother said responsibility. Is it, is it that we should let them take responsibility to do for us, or should we pool the knowledge that's at the table, the power that's in our community, the wealth that's in our community to change the harsh reality of black life in America? We have to do the job of fulfilling the black agenda. Whites are expert game players in their contests to maintain absolute power. One of their time-honored gimmicks is to point to individual blacks who've achieved recognition. But look at Ralph Bunch. Think about Lena Horne or Mary Anderson. Look at Jackie Robinson. They made it as one of those who has made it. I would like to be thought of as an inspiration to our young but I don't want them lied to. Name them for me. The examples of blacks who made it. For virtually everyone you name, I can give you a sordid piece of factual information on how they have been mistreated, humiliated. Not being able to fight back is a form of severe punishment. I come here tonight and plead with you. Believe in yourself and believe that you're somebody. As I said to the group last night, nobody else can do this for us. No document can do this for us. No Lincolnian Emancipation Proclamation can do this for us. No Kennesonian or Johnsonian Civil Rights Bill can do this for us. If the Negro is to be free, he must move down into the inner resources of his own soul and sign with a pen and ink of self-assertive manhood his own emancipation proclamation. Don't let anybody 
take your manhood. Born Awakening is a proud part of the Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black digital and podcasting platform. It's coming. Mississippi Black Liberation Movement, Elmer Geronimo Pratt Gun Club, presents the 7th Annual Black Liberation Movement Building Power Summit 2023. Building Power Summit, free the land, undivide, and reclaim. September 15th to the 17th, Jackson, Mississippi, at the historic Black Tougaloo College. Portions of the conference to be aired on Time for an Awakening Media, Black Talk Radio Network. Calling all serious black power organizations, revolutionaries, organizers to attend this divine experience. For more information, contact Brother Patrick Lumumba, 662-560-5434. Sister Crystal Denise, 405-361-4751. And Brother Nick Bezel, 512-364-0050. That's the 7th Annual Black Liberation Movement Building Power Summit 2023. Time for an Awakening is a proud part of the Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black digital and podcasting platform. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. Uh, It's 8. Oh, excuse me. It's 1012. (laughs) It's Friday edition of Time for an Awakening. Richard. You got us starting all over again. (laughs) Right. Listen, it was, it's always interesting when we have Charles Barron on with us, man. It, it's, I, I don't know what to say. Inspiring. But I can, I can say one thing, Richard. You know, he mentioned two things about pointing out the contradiction. And that's one thing that we try to do on this program, to point out the contradictions to what's going on. So at least... Uh, some of our people that want to can take a critical look at what we're dealing with. And the other thing is this, Richard, because, listen, we can point out the contradiction and say to people that these elected officials that we have, now I'm not talking about the white elected officials. These black elected officials are not doing what they're supposed to do for the people that, that put their trust in them. Now, right. we can say that, but when you hear a man that is in one of the most powerful political states in this country, states, and the largest city in the United States that was an elected official in the state assembly for a number of years and now currently and was an elected council person in New York for a couple of decades. When you hear him say, that the biggest problem, when he said the biggest problem is not Trump and some of these others, because he put Trump and Biden in the same bag, you heard him. Yep. When he said the biggest problem is black elected officials. Now, this man is an elected official currently and was for a number of decades. When he says that these people are not doing right by their community, that has to hold some weight. Because, listen, I'm not an elected official, Richard, and neither are you. But right. this this man is and was. And if he's saying that you can get some of these tax dollars that we throw into this uh, this country's bag to bring back to our communities, and he sees that other black elected officials is not doing that, but playing ball with these other people and taking your resources and giving it to other people, you heard him say it. There you go. 
Richard, that has to hold some weight. That has to make our people start saying, like, wait a minute, let's let's look at this again. Let's stop playing cheerleader and waving the banner and pom-poms or whatever and putting your hands in the air for these people, and they're not doing right by our communities. Mm. True that, true that. Listen, before we leave, I just want to give out that uh, that Zoom ID and passcode again for any of our listeners that want to uh, to be a part of the honoring of Atulu Shakur tomorrow, the memorial uh, uh, observance. Again, it's on Zoom, and most people already have like the Zoom thing on their devices, whether it's the phone or the tablet or the desktop. You put in the Zoom ID, which is 8304228. 488. That's the Zoom ID, 8304228048. And then you put the passcode in, which is 834742. Again, that passcode is 834742. And you can be a part of the, the uh, memorial service. And that's tomorrow, uh, August 26th, at start at 12 to 2 um, in the afternoon. Again, I want to thank everybody for listening to the program this evening. Lively discussion as always, and we'll be back on Sunday, Lord willing, to continue on this path towards an awakening. Peace. Peace. If you're driving through the country on a lazy afternoon. Children playing after school. They seem to be so unaware. Oh, I know, I know the things that they'll soon have to take care of.
Thank you. 